Hello. Today I'm going to ask you to just take a moment and prepare your heart to hear Gila Valley's message so that your faith will grow and you will continue to hunger for more of God's Word. Because Romans 10:17 tells us that faith comes from hearing the Word. I pray you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Would you open up your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, we'll be studying verses 21 through 24. By a show of hands, if I were to ask you, if you want to experience more of God, would you raise your hand this morning? Say, I want to experience more of God. By a show of hands, would you say that you want to experience the power and the presence of God? Would you raise your hand this morning? Would you raise your hand this morning if you want to be able to stand before God with a peace that surpasses all understanding and a clear conscience? That's my prayer. This morning we're going to be talking about worship and how worship is more than just singing a song. Man, we have a phenomenal worship team. But worship is actually more of a heart matter than an outward appearance. We can worship God by how we attend church. We can worship God by praying or reading our Bible. In fact, we can even worship God at work or at school. You can worship God on the court or on the ball field. You can worship God on the court or on the ball field. Everything you do, you were designed to worship God. And if we have a proper attitude about it, then we can do so. Some context for today's sermon. Jesus is preaching a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in Matthew chapter 5. And he's going to be comparing the Old Testament to the New Testament. He's going to say the word several times. Or the phrase several times in the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to say you have heard it said. You have heard it said. And he's going to repeat a law. And the law that we're going to talk about this morning. Is you've heard it said not to murder your brother. And all of us can be like, good, because I haven't murdered anyone. And if you have, I just want you to know you're so welcome here, okay? <laughs> but what Jesus points out in the Sermon on the Mount is we have missed the heart of the matter. The law is not saying don't murder. The law is not saying don't commit adultery. It's asking us to fix our hearts on Christ. Let's pray and ask that we would do just that father this morning we come before you and father as i proclaim your word father i ask that you would humble me father that you would give me courage and boldness to proclaim your gospel father i pray over our community as the songs that we just sung, there's so many lost people around us. 
Father, I pray that you would lead us to those people around us. Father, I pray for our church. Father, I pray that we would be a church full of courage. Father, I pray that we would be a church not so prideful and arrogant in how we operate with one another, but Father, that we would just humbly come and bow before your throne. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. I want to talk about attendance and worship just for a moment. Attendance and worship. 25 years ago, a church member. Now, our church, you can see on the board over here, has 107 church members. But 25 years ago, a quote-unquote church member would attend church 3.4 times a month. 3.4 times a month, we would miss for family events, we'd miss for traveling, we'd miss for vacation, all appropriate things. But I believe as our culture has grown so different from what God's word says, that we've allowed our culture to impact the church. In fact, it's easy when we have a disagreement with a brother or sister in Christ to leave the church or to stop attending the church. And over the course of some 25 years, specifically three years ago, the statistic was 1.8 times a month a church member would attend church. Because maybe they had a disagreement with a brother or sister. Maybe they've been hurt by the church. I'm not going to ask us to raise hands this morning. But I think we can all pinpoint a season in our life where we have been hurt by the church. Or we've been hurt by someone that claimed to know Jesus. And, and what I'm trying to put before us this morning is instead of leaning into it and running to reconcile with an individual, we've done what our culture does as the easy thing to do and we've backed away from it. In fact, there's this thing called COVID. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. But in the middle of COVID, churches actually began to split over political issues. Churches began to divide over racial issues in the last three years. And so the number gets even sadder. A faithful church member, according to Lifeway Research, someone who is connected to the body of Christ, according to Lifeway attends church 1.2 times a month. Maybe it's because our culture is easily offended and it's easier to run away from a problem than to lean into it. But men, head of household, let's make attending church a priority for your family. In all reality, this posture rises and falls with you. I want to spend the majority of our time this morning in our attitude in worship. Our attitude in worship is not 
uh, a time to make a shopping list. In fact, if I can just confess this morning in, in Sunday school, one of the options, and I haven't told you guys I'm going to use this uh, illustration here, but the very first question in our Sunday school was just describe a time that you had victory in something and I'm thinking last night, Harley and I beat Jackie and Amanda in tennis. And so I wrote that in my little book. I wanted to take out my phone and I wanted to text it to them. Because I didn't want to distract from what was going on. But really, my heart wasn't in it for the Bible study. My heart wasn't in it to worship and to feast on the word of God. Worship isn't a time to make a shopping list. It's not a time to text your girlfriend or to, uh, hey, don't you really wish that that one person was here to hear this message? We've done that before. A poor attitude about worship says a lot about our lack of fear and reverence for God. In fact, this will be on the screen. Our attitude in worship says a lot about the condition of our heart. See, our horizontal relationships with people we can see says a lot about our relationship with God who we cannot see. I want to call your attention to the Holy Scriptures and I'm going to read verse 23 of chapter 5. It says this, So if you are offering your gift at the altar. And there remember your brother has something against you. We're just going to stop right there. So this altar, I think of, we had a 4-H uh, Easter egg hunt, which was phenomenal. Thank you for everyone in 4-H that put that on for our community. And we recently had a Little League outreach, and so thank you for everyone in our community that put that on. But at both of these events, we, in the background, have the aroma of the cafe's new smoker. And we're eating hot dogs, and I can smell some brisket. And I know, Jerry, you love some brisket. I wanted to go, and I wanted to eat the brisket. And so we took our family there this weekend. But this altar that we see in Scripture in the Old Testament would have been more like a smoker than a stage or steps. In fact, when we are preaching the gospel and at the end of service, we have a time for you to respond at the altar. This is not an altar. We can make this an altar. But the original altar is a place of a barbecue to sacrifice animals before the Lord. That's the only altar that exists. Now, when we uh, are doing this, we can make these steps our altar. An altar is a place where we meet with the Lord. You can meet the Lord in your pew. You can meet the Lord in a prayer closet. You can meet the Lord in your car on the way to school singing worship songs. You can meet the Lord wherever you want. My personal prayer is that my life is an altar. But look at the terminology in verse 23. The terminology doesn't say if you have something against your brother. 
oh man, you know that one time that brother did that thing to me and all of a sudden you go to church, you go to make your offering to God, you go to give your gift to God and all of a sudden you remember that you are angry at a brother or sister in Christ. It doesn't say that. That's not the terminology. I think it's very interesting. Maybe we need to underline this in our text this morning. It does say if your brother has something against you some insights about worship. Worship is a heart matter. You cannot worship God and disrespect people at the same time. Some context, Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount specifically about anger, how he compares hatred in our hearts similar to murdering a brother or sister in Christ. But I didn't, I didn't kill them. I just, I just cursed them out. I, I didn't kill them. I just slandered them. I didn't kill them. I just talked poor about them. And he says, you're missing the point. I want to paint a picture for you guys. Let's go back some 2,000 years, okay? In the Jewish culture, what's actually taking place a man is coming with his offering on the day of Passover to this barbecue pit. Now, he has his animal, and I don't know if he has a calf, if he has a sheep, whatever, but it is his best animal. It is the fattened calf that he's coming to give to the Lord. And I don't know if he's dragging it, if he's kicking it, if he has some dogs or whatever helping him along the way, but he's here, and he's waiting in a line with a whole bunch of other smelly, stinky, disobedient animals that they're going to give as a gift before the Lord. And, and look in context here, verses 21 and verse 22. I'm going to read verse 22. But I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the what? The council or the court, depending on your translation. And so this man's walking with this animal. It's frustrating. It's probably hot. He's sweaty. And he's walking in this posture and he passes the courts he passes the councils first he would have gone past the council of the gentiles and then he would go on to the council and the court of the women who were jews and then the men who were jews and then he would go into the council and the judgment of the priest and he finally reaches the altar where he can see it with his eyes and he sees a holy place and he sees the holy of holies there and he is at the altar ready to give his best offering before God. And look at verse 24. This is what the Lord tells him. Leave your gift there before the altar, and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Man. You guys remember doing fire drills in elementary school? I don't know why we don't do fire drills anymore, but the thing they always told us was drop, stop, drop, and roll. 
right? You're supposed to roll around to help the fire come off of you, or I don't know how that works. I don't know why we stopped doing it. But Jesus has a similar instruction. He tells us to do three things. He says to stop, to drop our offering at the altar, and to run to reconcile with our brother. Stop what you're doing. Drop your offering and run to be reconciled. He, he doesn't say don't fight. He, he, he doesn't say, hey, um, I want you to go and I want you to fight with your brother or your sister in Christ who you have offended. I want you to go and I want you to fight with that family member who wronged you 20 years ago. I want you to go and I want you to call up your sister who you haven't talked to in the last three years. He says, I want you to stop your offering. I want you to stop your worship to me. I want you to drop whatever you're bringing to me me because I don't need it and I want you to run to reconcile. Give you some more context of the Jewish culture. It was uh, a badge based. I think of maybe Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts where you get a badge for everything. Where the Jewish individuals, they would come in and they'd say, hey, listen, I have done this. I've grown the synagogue. I have done this. Hey, I've brought the best calf. You know, they brought some calves, but listen, my calf is a little bit bigger. They've done all of these things. Do you know how much energy I've put into this, Lord? Do you know how many badges I've, I've gotten? Do you know how many good deeds I've done for you? What they did in the Jewish culture is they pointed to their outward acts of worship and they minimized the attitude of their heart. Sadly, we're tempted to do the same. We say something like, do you know how long my quiet time was this morning? Have you ever heard me pray out loud? I'm pretty good at it. We say something like this. Do you know how many mission trips I've gone on? Do you know that I uh, sometimes sing on the stage, but pastor, did you hear how good I was singing this morning from the pew? Pastor, have you ever looked at my giving record to the church? Do you know how much I do? See, we're, we are tempted to justify our good deeds and minimize our bad deeds. At the same time, we harbor hatred and bitterness on a weekly basis towards people, towards God's children. In fact, I'd say that you could have pure motives in something and still make a mistake. I want to give you an example. A couple years ago, early on in our marriage, I came home from work before Amanda got home. I saw that there were dishes in the sink. I saw that the dishwasher was ready to be put back up. And so I'm like, I'm going to, with pure motives, I got this. And I began to wash dishes. I began to put the dishes back. I go sit in my recliner and I relax for a little bit. And Amanda gets home and she looks at me and she says, did you do the dishes? Yes, ma'am, I did the dishes. I'm so happy about it. See, when I was doing the dishes and I began to unload the dishwasher, I put tubware in the cabinets that they did not belong. 
In fact, as I was doing the dishes and I began to reload the dishwasher, I saw a black skillet, thank you, (laughs) on the stove. And it looked a little dirty, a little greasy. So I grabbed it and I put some Dawn dish soap on it. I scrubbed it really, really good and then I put it in the dishwasher with pure motives. (laughs) Now there's some things in premarital counseling that they should tell you and one of those things is they should tell you that you do not put cast iron in the dishwasher. In fact, uh, Caden is, is turning two this week and he loves carrying around a water bottle. He spills out water bottle everywhere. It's so annoying. But he carries around this water ball and he spilled it again. So I went and I got a towel and Elliot is asking me for a drink over and over and over again. But I don't hear Elliot. In fact, there's been several times in raising boys that I've not heard Elliot, not because I'm not attentive to his voice, but because I'm so distracted and so focused on something else that I cannot listen to anything else around me. And so I began to get the towel and I began to clean up the water and I began to go put the towel in the laundry room and Elliot is following me around and he tugs my shirt and almost with tear in his eyes, he says, Daddy, do you hear me? Can you hear me, Daddy? What's up, bud? I've been asking you for some juice. Pure motives. I was just distracted. We ask God to look at our good and ignore our bad church. What this is, is it's legalism. How many of us have raised boys? At least 50% of us. Man, it's tough. Man, you know boys make like weird sounds and weird smells come out of their body? Oh my goodness. And they fight with each other. They bicker, they push. (laughs) He's like, don't tell on me, daddy. There was a time just the other week and Amanda came into the bedroom and said these words, I wish they just wouldn't fight. Now, when we go to break up the fight, maybe they pushed each other off the tricycle or maybe they just uh, stole each other's yogurt or whatever, but when you go and you go to break up the fight, they say something like this, but daddy, do you know what he did to me? They don't take ownership of what they did. No one's gonna say, oh yeah, it was my fault, I started it. (laughs) No. Maybe children and adults don't have so much different in common here. Because as adults, we continue to point the finger at other people. Maybe it sounds like something like this. But do you know what they did to me? But do you know what the church has done to me? But do you know what sin that person struggles with? I don't struggle with that type of sin. But do you know? 
And maybe our conversations with God in context of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus says, so you've heard it so, but this. But you've heard it so, but you're missing the heart of the matter. Maybe our conversation with God is, hey God, I know that I have a porn addiction, but you see how much money I gave to the children's home. I know that I have an inappropriate relationship with someone at work, but do you know that I have quiet time every single morning? God, I may not go to church often, but do you see how much I serve in our community? See, we have this conversation privately with God to justify our wicked heart. And we want God to see all the good that we've done. We can't justify our sin by our good deeds. The attitude of our hearts is way more important than the amount of our offering. And I'm not just talking about our offering as it relates to money. I'm talking about our time, our, uh, our talents, and our treasures. Because listen to this, it will be on the screen if you're writing and taking notes. Peace with others precedes the presence of God. What is offensive to other people? Let's look in context. I'm going to read verse 21 and 22 together. It says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So this gentleman is at the altar in Jesus' sermon. And it's there in verse 23. He remembers. He remembers that one of his brothers has something against him. He drops his offering and he runs to reconcile with that brother. I believe that this is part of the reason why church attendance has declined. Not in our church specifically, but in America. We have run away from the problem instead of leaning into the problem. We have had prideful hearts instead of humbling ourselves before the Lord. Now, if this morning you realize that there's a family member that you need to go and reconcile with, that there's a friend from high school that you need to call on the phone. In fact, this morning I texted a friend from middle school. I said, will you forgive me? If you realize this, go and make it right with the person. It's better to be right with man than wrong with God. Here's what I believe Jesus would say today. In our context, in our culture, what I believe that Jesus would say today, he says, uh, whatever you have, if you remember that your brother has something against you, then do not sing another lyric. He would say, don't raise another hand in worship. 
He would say, don't open your Bible again. Don't say another prayer of supplication asking me for anything. Don't even give another offering. Don't go on another mission trip until you make it right with someone you have wronged. God doesn't need any of this. God doesn't need our obedience. He doesn't want our our works of legalism. He wants our heart. He wants to make sure that our heart is made pure before him. Your attitude towards another person is greater than your offering to God because your heart condition is the most important thing to God. Can we have an uncomfortable conversation this morning? You guys are like, it's it's been uncomfortable already, Pastor. (laughs) Remember when I asked you to raise your hands at the start of service? I asked you if you wanted to experience more God. I asked you if you wanted to experience the power and the presence of God. I asked if you wanted to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. If you wanted to stand before God with a clear conscience. In fact, some of us this morning, we sung songs praising God with our lips. And this week, we have put down or cut down our spouse. We need to ask our spouse for forgiveness. In fact, on Wednesday this week, our students will come to our youth ministry. And they will read scripture aloud with their lips and they will go to school this week and they will slander their classmates and their teachers with these same lips. Maybe this morning when we were worshiping the Lord, we raised our hands out of respect for God and worship And we disrespect our brother and sister in Christ throughout the week. Maybe everyone at work knows that you're a Christian. And they also know where to get all the tea. If you guys don't know what tea is, it's like slang for gossip. (laughs) Maybe we go overseas to tell people about Jesus. And we can go on mission trips to tell people about Jesus and then we come back and we rip apart other friends, our church members, our other races and we think nothing about it. Church, stop lying to yourself. Friend, brother, sister in Christ, stop lying to yourself. You cannot hate another person and claim to love God. So this morning I want to lead by example. I have done and said things in the last week, in the last month, and in the last year that have hurt people who have given their life to this church and community. And I know better. I have realized that some of my pastoral leadership over the last years has come from a prideful place. And even when I had pure motives, I have often made mistakes in how I handled things. Church, I desperately need to apologize to my brother, Marvin, this morning. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I apologize to the Karchner family as a whole this morning 
privately and publicly, I humble myself and I ask for your forgiveness. I want to go to my brother Jerry. I want to shake your hand. I want to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Thank you. And I apologize to the Woodrow family. Each and every child and grandchild and great-grandchild who have poured so much love into this community church, I desperately need to apologize to the Karchner and the Woodrow family. Church, I want you to know that I need your help and I need your accountability. You can't do this without God softening your heart. You cannot go to a brother or sister in Christ and ask if they can forgive you without them softening your heart. Now, the last week I had three options. I could fight in my pride. And this is all of our distinction uh, right away in our flesh. We can fight the issue to the death. Option number two, I could leave. And I could cease to pastor your church. And I could move back to Oklahoma. And I'm sure that would make my in-laws extremely happy. But listen, God has called me here to pastor your church. And I desire to pastor each and every one of you. The easy thing is to leave. The hard thing is for us to humble ourselves and to run to reconcile with one another. I believe that there's someone in your life right now that you're thinking of that you need to reconcile with. That you have had a relationship that was not glorifying to God. In fact, a relationship that has hindered your worship to God. I'll tell you the secret of being a Christian. Uh, it's a superpower. You ready? Are you guys ready? Here is the secret of being a Christian. Be a dealer of compassion, not a dispenser of criticism. When someone hurts you, give them compassion. If someone wrongs you, give them grace. If someone slanders you, give them love. Who do you need to show compassion to? Who do you need to love? Who do you need to give grace to? I can't see without these things. And so I've looked into LASIK surgery. And I learned that in LASIK surgery, they make one of your eyes farsighted and one of your eyes nearsighted. And I thought maybe this is what we all do. See, we want to be nearsighted in other people's sins. We can see them, we can distinguish them, but our sins were farsighted. Can't see them, they're blurry. As your pastor as your friend, as someone in your family of faith, I want the opposite to be true. I want to see my sins near and everyone else's sins far away. When I step in to a situation, I believe that God steps back. 
But when I step back, God steps in. You know this? God has something in his toolbox that you and I don't have. I told you that none of this is possible without God intervening on our behalf. The tool that God has in his toolbox is conviction. God has convicted me to ask, to run, to reconcile. Who do you need to reconcile with today? Who did you wrong that the Lord brings to your mind that you need to make right? I know some of you are thinking that you need to call a person, but you haven't talked to them in three years. God needs to intervene on your behalf. Maybe you intentionally or unintentionally hurt them and you need to reach out and ask for forgiveness. Ask God who this person is this morning. If you're like, I have no clue who it is. Ask God, God, who has something against me? Whose worship is being hindered because of my disobedience, because of my sin towards you, Lord? Lord, how is my worship to you being hindered by something else going on? I believe that God will make that known to you. Let me tell you this. There is no but in an apology. The only but in apology is someone who says but because it makes you a but. So if you're going to call someone and you're going to ask for their forgiveness, if there's someone in our congregation that you need to go to and ask for their forgiveness and you're going to use the phrase but, then don't even pick up the phone. Don't even have the conversation. This is what you need to say to them. I am asking for forgiveness for something that I have done against you. Will you forgive me? Church, don't wait. I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward. There are some of you who have been deeply hurt by someone in this room and your worship has been affected because you have harbored anger and bitterness and resentment. Will you bring it to Jesus this morning? Come make these steps an altar. God, I forgive them in my heart and I'm going to move on needs to be your declaration this morning. Maybe your prayer sounds something like this. My worship with you is way too important than the anger that I've been holding on to years towards my church, towards my mom, towards my sister, towards my relatives, towards my coworkers, towards my kids. If you need to make it right with God, I'm going to ask you to make these steps your altar this morning. Why? Because you need God to go before you. You need to step back and you need to let God step in. This isn't easy. Maybe you haven't talked to this person in years and your prayer needs to be, would the Lord go before me? Church, do not put off tomorrow what has to be done today. God, would you take away my feelings of bitterness, pride, and anger? Would we love like Jesus? When Jesus was on the cross, when he was being attacked on the cross, Judas just recently betrayed him. Peter denies him. And the other disciples left him to decease at the cross by himself. 
others spit and they whipped him. Some slandered and laughed at him and he said this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Maybe this morning you need to say, hey, my relationship with an individual is at odds, but my relationship with God is at odds and I need to go to the Lord and I need to say, God, would you clear my heart? My heart and my worship towards you has been distracted towards other things. Father, forgive me for my sins. Church, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. Bring it to God this morning. Would you stand and make these steps your altar?